0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero, all engine runner, off. we have a
1: off. Hello space enthusiasts, welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast, where we investigate all the exciting ways in which people participate in the new space economy, by conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, investors and other members of the space family. My name is Raphael Rodkin and I'm an investor in and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by NanoAvionics, a satellite bus manufacturer and mission integrator. Their satellite technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation for various purposes, Or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly I am not a rocket scientist but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University or ISU which is also our partner in this podcast. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide ranging from executive courses lasting a few days all the way to a one-year master's. Check them out at isunet.edu My guest this week is Robert Jacobson, who has just recently published his book Space is Open for Business. It's a great overview of all the exciting things going on in the new space economy. Robert is also a space entrepreneur, investor and advisor. In short, he's deeply involved in the space sector and will share some of his experiences and views with us. Enjoy. everybody, I'm here with my friend Rob Jacobson from Los Angeles. Rob, how are you doing? Hey,
0: great, Rafael. I'm really excited to be here. It took a little while for us to finally find a date that worked and I'm, I'm really excited to speak to you today.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm very pleased to have you. That's right. We, we had a little bit of difficulties coordinating our probably way too busy di- diaries because we both have a few things going on in, in, in space. All, all good things. So, why don't you start off just uh, giving us a quick introduction about yourself and your background and, and what you're doing?
0: Yeah, thank you. Certainly. So, I'm an astropreneur. And, and for those who might be new to the term, it's like astronaut and entrepreneur combined together. I actually came from outside of the, the space industry and was first smitten by um, this area called new space. I didn't even know the word new space. Let alone back in 2004, quite a long time ago. And I had a, a, went to the first pre-competition flight of Spaceship One. It was the flight to go to space, part of the X Prize, the first X Prize competition. And from attending that event, it just really transformed my life. In a, or, 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 I should i rephrase it was a catalyst for me to enter this industry. And I didn't really even know that at the time. That's what was happening. But I knew that there was that this was a big deal. The, this event. Uh, for Spaceship One. But I wasn't really that aware of all the other things that, that were just starting to happen uh, in new space in those early days. So fast forwarding many years later, I've been involved on both the entrepreneurial side, investor side, advisor. I recently wrote a book called Space is Open for Business, which in some ways was the book that I wish I would have had when I first entered the industry, being a kind of a 360 degree holistic view of the, you know, the, the different verticals and and challenges that the space sector presents, as well as, of course, the opportunities.
1: Yeah, and so which one of these, um, well, let, me, let me take this back, you, you mentioned Virgin Galactic and, and Spaceship One. Did, did you ever end up buying a ticket? Do you wanna go on that ride?
0: You know, when I I, I did something different and it's, it's not a well-known story and I don't really talk about it too often. Is that after the flight, I ended up making kind of a a business presentation for Richard Branson and and tried to kind of enroll him. My thought is that there needed to be some more development around the Mojave spaceports. And this is way before, you know, Spaceport America and um, other other inland spaceports were kind of um, being realized. How do I say this delicately? I just realized more that I wanted to do different things. The more I learned about the space sector, I realized I wanted to do my own thing rather than going to work with um, necessarily like Virgin Galactic and not necessarily thinking I was gonna be probably a, a great fit for what they needed at the time. And um and although it seemed cool, orbital seemed cooler, and I figured I might as well just kind of wait for that opportunity. So I not purchased to take that time, although a investment group I was part of did invest in another company called Xcore Aerospace. It's now defunct, it had a very long run and uh, and I talk about that kind of that that the arc and some of its challenges in, in the book. Xcor is the one that was trying to do a space plane, if I remember correctly, right? That is cr- that is correct. And they did successfully. Ha- um, they had used one of a um, a Rutan designed aircraft. And they had actually put rocket engines on it. And I went to a flight that they they did um, where they flew from the Mojave Airport to California City, which wasn't a, a long distance, but it was a rocket-powered airplane flight. I think they carried some mail and some other tchotchkes along. I think it was a back and forth. It was just a quick run. They ended up also then flying um, an aircraft, a number, a rocket-powered aircraft, a number of times to demonstrate that their you know that their engines they could you know, start and restart, uh, in flight, you know, they had some impressive technology. I always personally thought that they should have linked up with scaled composites, mm-hmm. um, who had, you know, had the, the mastery of a composite aircraft building and X-Core, which was an excellent engine builder on, and doing propulsion design and that they should have synced up. But, um, that was, that was not to be, to be the case. Yeah. I think
1: I think you and I, because we're in the sector, we know the story, but for the benefit of the listeners, what is the quick explanation why Xcore in the end why it didn't work out? Because Space plane seems like such a dream, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's sort of several things. One is that they were challenges where at in in leadership where um, you had some of the leadership that was very technology focused that wanted to work just on the technology and, and find other people to handle the, the business side. And I don't think there was a ever a successful um, kind of transition there between kind of, the you know, that um, kind of the technology management. And the company had taken um, economic development money, both in terms of, um, you know, kind of grant form and debt from some several different stakeholders, different economic development groups. These are um, these are groups in communities. They're they're usually uh, not for profit public corporations funded by taxpayer money. And their idea, what their goal is, to bring in jobs or to to bring in businesses that will create jobs. XCor was essentially, from my viewpoint, kind of double dating. And then they had a customer concentration issue where they were um, they were working on a, on a project for United Launch Alliance, known as the acronym ULA. And when there was a down selection and some contracting, you know, they had no new revenue sources backed up, and they were caught in a pinch. Oh. And then there was a note. You know, you had note holders who wanted to, um, you know, wanted debt repaid, and it was just. It ended up just collapsing there. And it's 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 sad, and unfortunate. That's just sometimes part of evolution. Is it sometimes just takes some, some loss um, to develop. You know, hopefully there'll be new things that will rise from those ashes.
1: Yeah, like like Icarus from the ashes, exactly. And um, if I remember correctly, that was around also 2016ish or so. Is that, that right? Um yeah,
0: around that. But, yeah. Um yeah, yeah, I think so. I forget I, I forget the year that they My, declared the bankruptcy, but I think it was, might have been
1: when we're getting at a sort of like it was also sort of like, you know, I think still a little bit of a different world. I mean, new space I think was was starting. I always tell people sort of like, you know, the "Quote unquote oldest new space, so some of the oldest new space companies we we have these days is probably you know companies like Planet Inspire from like 2010, mm-hmm. 2012. But you know, in, in my impression, like a lot has changed the last few years. You know, and you've you've been in the sector longer than me. How have you perceived that change? Have you perceived that same change the last few years?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, what I notice now is that the growth and the pace of things are accelerating. And it used to be." That you know, the, the space community would not have many, there would not be much news activity. The development was slow, you know, companies were trying to raise money. And you might hear something, and I'll and I'll I'll pick on a Virgin Galactic for a moment. You know, maybe they'd have a press release every six months or so, people would get so excited, and, yeah. and, it, would, and it would be amazing how much dissection could happen on like one press release or one news announcement. And now there's so many different facets and different verticals being integrated that it's difficult, if not impossible to be to to virtually have a handle on everything that's going on and, and say that you're an expert in all those areas I, I think it's just not possible so there's just a there's more activity more funding there's also now some some type of exit activity in some ways that investors are able to get liquidity to their investments which had been more difficult you know it's it's not well known but like you know scaled Composites was owned by uh, um, north or a big chunk of it was owned by north of Grumman and north of yeah. Grumman had acquired scaled Composite, which was the company that developed the technology that Virgin is essentially licensed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Raphael, did I get to, your, get to answer most of your question there?
1: Yeah, I, I think okay. I think so. And I, I think we touched upon the you know, key points. It's just generally, I agree, it's more activity on the entrepreneur side, on the funding side. Certainly in use flow. I mean, I think for me, this all came home sort of uh, dramatically when at the beginning of March, we had two space spec, uh, specs being announced on the same day, right? And that day when both Spire and Rocket Lab announced their that's bags. So I was like, okay, we're in the was middle that pl-
0: of like, was that planned? I, you know, I, can- <laughs> I don't know.
1: I mean, I don't think so. Right. Because like one was taking a little bit of the other as sort of like a thunder. So I'm guessing no, but, but I thought like, wow, you know, who, who would have imagined even like, you know, I don't know, even a couple of, even a year ago, let alone a couple of years ago, let alone you, five
0: years ago. Do you, do you know another trivial commonality between those two companies? You got, you got me there. I'll, I'll probably both. say uh, once you say, once you say. Okay. Well, both founders are named Peter. <laughs> Peter, Peter Platzer, Peter, uh, yeah. Peter Platzer, who I think was originally from I think Austria, and correct. then you have Peter Beck from New Zealand. Yes, so uh, Spire, uh, Spire, and uh, and, and uh, Rocket Lab, respectively.
1: Yeah, I was thinking of like similarities. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> think of the first name. That's the most obvious one. You're correct. Peter Platzer, of course, you're right. He is originally from Austria. Um, he's also not originally a space person at all i mean he may even be financial markets i forget now but he, he did hbs how about business school and of course um he did our alma mater the international space university which i think you did, when did you do isu uh
0: 2016 2016 so that's before yeah me. 2016
1: yeah so how is um because because they're our partner in the podcast and not everybody might might know them what how was that experience for you in your on your journey into space
0: yeah international space university was something i I'd, I'd heard about but i didn't think I, it was for me or that I qualified or it was like, I knew of it. And, but it was a little bit of heard this term, the space mafia. And I was going, Oh, what is this about? And a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Potter, who I think is on their, their, one of their uh, board of trust board of directors or trustees. He attended one of the very early sessions of Mm. of ISU. He would every, I don't know, every few months or so, he would sort of just kind of like send me something about ISU and just kind of try to pique my interest there. And then finally he said, hey, you know, it's going to be at the Technion in uh, Haifa, Israel in summer 2016. and We're going to where these are some of the projects that are going to be, that the, the students will be working on. Think about it. And, and so after a little bit of prodding, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to apply. And um, so I attended in uh, summer 2016. It was fantastic. And I love just the um, working with other participants from around the world. Particularly, it was great to work with Chinese. You know, if you're in the space sector, you don't typically get to work with uh, Chinese space professionals and gosh there was probably every bit of 30 to 45 ish maybe more in my group so it was great to um, have that ex- you know there's this intercultural experience it's definitely kind of in, in, in moments high pressure when you're working on a project and you know the, the the constraints that are that are there so i i just really enjoyed the entire process and and the network that you instantly kind of develop from your time there with your peers. And then when you, uh, when you leave the program and, and that, um, you know, that kind of camaraderie, uh, continues and there's thousands of alum, uh, globally, and it's definitely kind of a a, a family or, or, or mafia as it's called family (laughs) or mafia. True. But yeah, some, I have some really wonderful, close friends and, uh, that I, that I made there, um, that I'm sure are going to be lifelong friends. Yeah, same same here. So
1: you did that in summer of two thousand and sixteen, and at Technion. By the way, very jealous. I mean, I did it in Strasbourg, but Technion Haifa, what a great location! And so you got you you graduated, and then so I'm I'm assuming you're even more pumped about space as one is when one you know leaves ISU. And then what did you do?
0: What was your plan? I had just started that summer. It was late spring of 2016. I just started writing the book, and I started with just creating kind of a a bibliography of kind of articles and and thought pieces, kind of a bit of an outline. And I did some of my early interviews, some I didn't really use for the book, but it was like good priming the pump. I would interview other students and professors and during when when there there was really not much free time. But I did kind of squeeze in a few interviews. And then at night, usually when I came home, I would make these kind of audio notes to myself, usually recording. It was like an, it was like an audio diary, recording kind of thoughts from the day. And that really gets kind of primed my, my process. So when I got back, I just really went deep into um, kind of more deep into uh, more research writing and interview mode because I had interviewed like many dozens of, of individuals as part of the book. So that was a big part. Um, I had... Um, Joined up with a uh, an an individual who's also an ISU um, alum and um, named Nova Spivak. um, I think. He went and attended, uh, went to Strasbourg in the nine, early 90s, and he recruited me for something called the Arc Mission Foundation, which is not for profit. He co-founded with the mission to backing up Earth civilization, and, um, and we're basically scouting really advanced forms of, of data storage. We've had several successful missions, so uh, I've been working closely with Nova and some of his um, other um, kind of entrepreneurial projects. From that point onwards, and we, we flew um, on the first Falcon Heavy flight, we f- flew with uh, Space IL, we did a ascend and return mission with uh, space, um, Blue Origin, put the first Engl- English copy of the Wikipedia in Leo uh, with um, Space chain. so it's been a very productive and active time. But in between, in, in around that time though, a um, little later, because the book took several years to kind of do, and I had a, I had some personal circumstances where my mother got very ill, so I had to put a lot of th- or a lot of th- slow a lot of things down during that time. So that's a a part of the reason why the book only came out in twenty twenty one. But maybe it was it came out the perfect time. But definitely there were some challenging moments when just interpersonal dealing with uh, you know a sick family member when um when I, mean, I had to slow um a, a lot of things down. Yeah, I can I, I can relate to that. I mean. You know, having done some writing
1: myself, I mean, book writing is just such a structured process requiring discipline. I'd imagine it's very hard if you have to sort of break that discipline in the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the case. And unfortunately my mo- my mom didn't get to live to see the, the book being uh, published, but, um, but I know she would be proud. She was, uh, um, she knew I was kind of deeply focused d- deeply into this, but she, and she would always sort of ask me about space. She goes, well, I remember when you were very obsessed with Star Wars for a while and Star Trek. And I said, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I was definitely obsessed. So I think um, I sort of prefer now having the obsessions on uh, sci- on space reality, but I still love having those influences of, yeah. of kind of science fiction and, and fantasy as a child, which um, I think are, you know, the inspiration is so useful for us as we grow and evolve as, as humans. Oh, certainly. And we'll, don't do We'll come back to science fiction uh... Uh, at, at, at
1: the end, as we always do. Um, while you're talking about your mom, I mean, could your mom have read the book? If I remember this correctly, your book is written for a broad audience, right?
0: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, yeah, I try to to break it down, and there's like glossaries for all the uh, the uh, almost ubiquitous uh, acronyms that exist within the space sector. So yeah, yeah, I think she could she could definitely read and understand it. Although there were some chapters, I think my mom would just skip because she'd be like, uh, "I don't, I don't care about this part." <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't as interested in kind of business and in, in industry. <laughs> how did you first decide
1: to write a book?
0: It was uh it was basically uh, I was talking with a friend. I'd been thinking about writing a book and it was kind of a challenge um sort of a set forth between friend um to to write a book and and I've been thinking about this uh this topic um or how to create something that would be useful to, to others, um, who might be entering the space industry. So there was like some kind of, you know, it's like a little bit of like simmering and thinking about things. I do, I get some of my, like my aha moments in the shower. Um, the whole book wasn't like an aha moment in the shower, but Mm. there was definitely a moment where I was kind of challenged by a friend like, Hey, go write a book. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So you researched that for several years, you had many conversations what were so, like, some of the, the the most interesting moments of that that process?
0: You know, conversations with people like Dr. Pete Warden, who's the former director at NASA Ames. I just find him, I just love how supportive he is, especially to, it seems to people, maybe I'll say either younger or more junior in their career, just so supportive and um, and a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and he's now the, um, the head of the Breakthrough Prize Foundation, Breakthrough Initiative. I, I'm. I'm making, yeah, I, I like...
1: think he's actually the chairman of the entire Breakthrough foundation and he's definitely yes. the head he's definitely the head of breakthrough starshot.
0: Yes, correct. You have all their their sub projects underneath the foundation, correct. Other highlights were talking to um Daniel Abraham from um one of the co co-creators of The Expanse was a lot of fun. I mean, I'm a fan of The Expanse. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was definitely a thrill talking to him. I I really loved my conversations with Christopher Stott, professor at ISU, I think, I think also a trustee member. He really instilled on me the importance of the International Space Station and uh, the smart use of of that as a as a as a global asset. I mean, it's really like it's like on par of like the pyramids or something. It's really that amazing. And we take it we might take it for granted because 365 days a year for over 20 years now we've had humans from different cultures and nationalities that have to work together to survive. And and they're supported by a very uh, diverse group of countries from all over the world. It's really impressive. So when we sometimes wake up in the day and we may be thinking, you know, sometimes I have days where I'm feeling a little bit down, a little cynical and pessimistic on, you know, human activities, I can at least look up at the sky and go, well, look, There's a bright spot, no matter if I'm a little depressed or a little bit in the doldrums, this is happening right now. So I think people should be reminded that it's, it's an excellent model for us.
1: Yeah. It's like, we've done one thing, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: And also during the process of the, of researching the book, let me ask you a different question. I mean, you already knew space quite a bit, I think, even when you started writing the book, I mean, what what was like something that was surprising to you?
0: Well, maybe several things. Well, uh, uh, there were a few people, and I I won't divulge who, few people who not necessarily, you know, everybody says, okay, what type of science fiction were you as a kid? Because it's like a common type of thing that space people can share culturally. Yep. There are a few people who actually said, no, nah, Science fiction was. I was not passionate about it as a kid. I wasn't interested in. They were the exception and the outlier. But I was always thought, oh, that's kind of curious. They were kind of in a in a purely uh, more of a, a different type of bubble when they were growing up or going to school. When I was writing the book, I I, tr- I tried to stay immensely curious and open-minded in going into any section almost as if i knew nothing about that topic so i had to go back and explore things especially around like the historical areas and in learning new things such as um actually this is something i just learned yesterday but but it's always being open-minded that the first um life science experiment ever taken to space was back in 1947 ish and it was like some fruit flies I didn't know that. It was on a V2. It must have been a V2, um, yeah. yeah. on a V2. So it was just kind of going in with this curiosity. And even when I would talk to the experts, I would sort of have like my kind of canned outline where I had my outline that I definitely had certain points. But I would do my own research on that person because to find out if there was something personal and very specific that they could they could share. There, there were just, God, there was just so many great conversations that I had and I recorded many, uh, most of them. So it, was, um, it might be fun, Wendy, to go back and hear some of those conversations and hear how some things will be more evergreen, some things maybe maybe the predictions didn't quite happen. <laughs> Generally, when I was researching this, the the really cool things, there's so many things that just like couldn't make it into the book because there was just, I had hundreds of thousands of words yeah. and I knew I had to get this like down to like under a hundred thousand words, yeah. Yeah, much less than a hundred thousand words, especially for um, kind of like the, the current attention span of like the typical reader. So it was really, you know, a lot of it was my editor or ruthlessly cutting out things (laughs) definitely sometimes challenges your ego you're like well i like that i like this section and you're like well it's it's you know kind of it's redundant or it's not very good
1: (laughs) well let me ask you this way then i mean if you if you had to write if you wanted to write another book or it could be a sequel or it could be something else i mean what what would that be
0: Ah, i don't know if i'd want to reveal that yet
1: Good. Um, uh, then I like, let me ask you differently. I mean, you talked about sort of like revisions, I think implicitly. I mean, we've already mentioned, like, especially like very recently, that the whole sector has just been moving so fast. And so you finished your book. Um, it was published sort of just a few months ago, right? Is that Correct. Do you sometimes get the itch and like, oh my God, I, I should already revise this chapter. You know, now Astra made it to space and Virgin Orbit made it to space. And probably when you wrote the book, it you know, didn't, it didn't yet.
0: And there's a few like little minor details. I think my editor and I started a spreadsheet where we started adding some things for a second edition. And there's yeah. probably some larger things that are a few things that we would change. And, and like, as you refer to when things, some things launch or like, uh, you know, I mean, Starship could have its own chapter in, in my sure. opinion, or, or at least section thinking about a little bit, but the moment I'm not too attached to this, uh, you know, um, our society seems to be going in such a, you know, things to be kind of like very ephemeral and, and kind of sometimes transitory. I really wanted this book to be, you know, to have some things that would be kind of timeless, but even recognize that a few things could be a, sn- a snapshot and that people would kind of forgive if, if something seems just a little bit already out of date. And as a matter of fact, I was able to um, to mention about COVID at the, at the start of the book mm-hmm. saying, look, this book is kind of coming out as COVID is happening and we, you know, some things, who knows, it might cause some things to slow down or accelerate. We don't really know, but we were, you know, my editor and I thought we should at least kind of put a disclosure in there that we recognize that COVID was a, a, a major global event and we should acknowledge it.
1: Yes. And on the positive side, probably, you know, people had more time to read books. <laughs> like true, very true. Learn, learn about new things. And so um, let me change tack here a little bit. Uh, sorry, like, like just coming back to the book, we should just repeat. Um, the book is called Spaces is Open for Business, and I assume Rob, it's uh, available on, on all main platforms like Amazon and so forth, right?
0: Yeah, that is correct. And the audio book will be available um, this this spring.
1: Okay, terrific. For for people like me who like to read books while they're out running, it's very convenient. And I'm,
0: so- not, re- I'm not reading the book. I read a, a couple small but I am not reading most of the text. I have a professional narrator. Perfect.
1: That's probably in most cases better, I think. I mean, there's some, some authors insist on reading themselves. I'm not always sure that's the the best idea, to be honest. Actually, speaking about books, you mentioned you you've done quite a, you had you had quite a bibliography as well when you were researching your book. Is there any other books you came across that you just think, oh my god, these are like must read books for generally for for people to read?
0: Yeah, one um, that I was able to get a a, a a license to quote would be um, Yuval Noah Harari's Homo uh, Deus: A Brief History yeah, of Tomorrow. Sure. Uh, I mean, he's such an I think a really impressive thinker that I, f- I feel fortunate that we're like, we have him in our time, watched a bunch of interviews from him. And I love the way he thinks. And a rigorous part of his life is he meditates, I think one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon or evening. So two hours a day of meditation. I'm going, wow, that is so aspirational. It's, it's, um, and I'm a meditator, but I've pandemic and in some ways I've actually, uh, my meditation actually went a little bit scheduled, just got off. Maybe just because i have had to spend so much time at home and in my more of my meditations now have been just going on like things like walking and and yeah. being present in those walks. But um but I find Yuval's um work kind of very stimulating and, and you know, he's a guy that's trying that really uh understands some of the the, the deep challenges that humanity is facing between uh, environment, technology, economics. I would highly recommend checking him out. For those who've not read any of Robert Zubrin's books, it goes very yeah. deep in the weeds in um, yeah. space. You know, some might not want that, but um, he makes really great, cases for, like, he's the case for Mars, the case Mars. for space. Yep. Frank White is a kind of an inspirational mm-hmm. author and he's become a, a personal friend. He wrote The Overview Effect and he has um, his latest book is The Cosmica Hypothesis, but his most well-known for The Overview Effect. And uh, I love hearing Frank speak. I, I love his writing and he's a, a gentle giant in our in space. Yeah, it's interesting. There's sort of a
1: link between a couple of things you, you you mentioned now. I mean, sort of the, the med- meditation and the the overview effect i guess ultimately we could also you know go up there and you know sit by a big window and you know experience the overview effect and that be sort of a you know meditative we could meditate on that Mm -hmm. as well is that but is that something you'd like to do yourself go up there
0: yeah yeah certainly i've tried some different types of experiences where i did um there's a company called space vr they're a client of Mm -hmm. mine and they're using um earth flotation tanks and they've created the only um, flotation tank-proof virtual reality headset, and they have their own proprietary content. basically go for a spacewalk, hang out in a float tank. That could be a way to try to have some of those types of experiences through that. Um, one of their advisors, R- Richard Garriott, um, who's a private astronaut and explorer, um, I had a very, very intriguing conversation with him where he shared about how he had the overview experience. And it was, it's a little different. I I feel like it's maybe not my place to share what that, how that was, but it was kind of essentially, it was over some time and then it kind of hit him like a brick. I have a feeling that for most individuals who might initially go to a suborbital experience with only having five minutes, I think it will be, unless there's very rare cases, difficulty to have like, it like an exceptional moment where you, you might have so many different moments, but to have like kind of like this thing where it's almost transcendental, where, you you know, you, you come back like an of body experience because it's only five minutes. And, and some might say you only need a minute to have one of those experiences. And this gets very subjective, you know, seeing the earth without um, boundaries is important, but I think there's many complementary ways that exist to generate those those that psychological state of of either well being or connectedness amongst humanity and even our, our non you know human uh, residents on Earth.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, the, the five minute riots it's it's just you. Know... Probably people will spend the five minutes taking like TikTok videos. (laughs) You're
0: right. (laughs) They won't get get to the
1: the meditation part, which is, you know, arguably is maybe the most important to kind of, you know, get to experience that that deep overview effect. But so I take it, you know, from those comments that sort of, you like the idea of um, space tourism.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think humans are going to do what they want to do. And I'm not going to judge if somebody wants to go there and take selfies and do all sorts of, have fun. It's your money and your time go for. But I do think there will be, hopefully, ways or as as maybe the time periods in space get longer to do other types of things whether it's research whether it's um i don't know i i like i had heard um i've, I've talked to him um dennis dennis tito the one of the first uh, private astronaut travelers yep. um, that he spent a lot of time he's a, listening to opera listening to opera like on headphones and looking out the port windows like, who am I to judge? Like, that probably was an amazing experience, <laughs> just sitting there, you know, hearing some incredible music, you know, and just watching the earth. I mean, like, wow, that's cool, too. You know, I don't think we can, I don't think humans, we're very judgmental. Believe me, we can all, like, judge and, we're, and all humans have opinions. But I think what's just so great about what we're on the cusp of is that what is is this whole new ocean that is that is going to be open for new activities. It's kind of like if if Rafael you said, hey Robert, you know, you've seen a lake and you know, you, you've seen things, but you've never seen an ocean before. And you take me out to the beach and you show me this ocean and, and I see the surface level and I'm going, wow, there's all these things happening. There's, you know, there's seagulls on, I see some dolphins or whatever. And then you're like, but Robert, there's all this incredible activity that could potentially have that's happening above the ocean, you know, in the sky underneath the ocean that you can't even see and I feel like space has some of that invisible opportunity and all that serendipity that we don't necessarily even know about yet
1: yeah I agree and it's 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 constantly growing too right because because of the tremendous cost decreases we we have experienced and are continuing to experience in the cost of accessing and operating in space it seems like every day somebody comes up with something new and more opportunities so what what are some of the things you are most excited about for the next few years in space
0: I have been always fascinated by the moon, um, and i'm 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 kind of great. I'm kind of thankful that we're hopefully finally going back. You know, we had this space IL mission, which was a hard landing slash yeah. crash, but kind of said, hey, we can we you know private efforts can can do this. You know there's a number of other efforts, private, commercial, government backed, headed back to the moon. I really want to go to the moon and I want to, um, I think we need like a, like a lunar playground, you know, like, uh, you know, places where people are going to be able to just try out all sorts of crazy things. Yeah. Cause first of all, cause it's like relatively safe. It's not only a few days from the earth. It's got partial gravity, I think there's just like we could have so much fun there, and I think that would just be a great place. I can even, I mean, this is this is probably a much longer ways off, but imagine being a great place to retire. You're going ah, easy on the bones, you know, spend time on the moon. In terms of more near term. Um, I love this idea about having more internet access around the planet. I know that might um, uh, be the dismay to, to, to those who say, you know, I just went to wanted to go camping to go unplugged, but when, when actually, you know, whether they're on a sailboat or where they're in a mountaintop, they could basically potentially connect to a satellite. I think that's great. You know, again, it's how do we choose to use the technology? We just have to understand they're just tools. I think, LEO applications from microgravity is still tremendously Underserved. I would love to see more, um, you know, public and private um, energy uh, invested in in that area, um, so we can continue to bring more benefits back to Earth. And one of the looming challenges that we have as we um, hopefully um, emerge from the global pandemic is climate change, which is already affecting our our spaceship Earth, and um, it's going to affect us whether we we care about it or not. Space assets have taken some of the earliest um you know climate models um we need more space sats to monitor our, our, our changing planet.
1: yeah no ab- absolutely and s- i was going to ask you and you, you actually started answering it sort of like if there's anything that you think people are not focused enough on in space and i think you mentioned like microgravity applications as one example is, is there is there something else you think people are not paying enough attention to and it could be people in the space sector or it could also be the general public
0: well, I even think you know we're talking about um, many times space has been done on customized way, even new space. When you have some of these companies that they'll 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 raise some money, they've got their prototype satellite or a few satellites, but are they thinking about the the testing and the quality assurance? To once so that they can scale their operation, or as they're scaling it, so that you know they're you know that the reliability of whatever it is they're making, whether it's a component or a spacecraft or some system, actually scales and there's like a, a, a very high quality to it at a still you know affordables relative, but I'll say high value but bringing prices down because space for for has has long been very customized, low volume, low quantity. And and if we're going to shift that, I think it's going to be important that we also keep high quality.
1: Yeah, I mean that's right. It's, it seems it's really only now that we're going into sort of like the beginnings of like a mass manufacturing. I think the latest number is, uh, for starlink satellites is that like SpaceX can now pump them out at like at least 120 a month, which is like uh, was previously unheard of. But I think that that's like the, the very beginning still. I think you're I think you're right there. How? How does all of this translate? So your view on the on the sector and what's interesting um, into your into your own projects now that the book is out?
0: Yeah, um, this is. I'll, I'll keep it short. These are kind of the you know shameless. They're not shameless plugs, but these are things that I'm involved in and that I'm passionate about. We took um, with Arc Mission Foundation, which is a not-for-profit. it had been uh, mostly all self-funded with uh, several large donors and generous donors, including the co-founders Nick Slavin and Nova Spivak, where um, we've got some missions for 2021 and beyond. We definitely need some uh, additional support there. Uh, we're backing up Earth civilization, so those who want to get involved, great project. Um, we created a sister for-profit company called Galactic Legacy Labs. And we're doing kind of the same thing using similar technology. We're flying to the moon in 2021 with SpaceX and and Lander company, uh, Intuitive Machines. Mm -hmm. It's a sister company of Axiom Space. And they um, were basically allowing the public to buy pages. And these pages will be printed through nanolithography, etched into the metal nickel. And they can put illustrations, photos, text, and preserved for billions of years on the moon. And that's happening this year. And people can participate. I've got a couple other things couple other, I've got some kind of clients that I'm working with, an interesting AI company, um, Space VR that I mentioned earlier that's got float tanks available around the world. People can can sign up, do floats, and basically go on on uh s- uh, spacewalks. no training, you don't need millions of dollars and you can we've got th- these all around the world. so you can do one of these virtual reality spacewalks and we're actually in the process of raising a series A uh, investment round at the moment and then I've got uh, kind of a stealth startup that I'm working on right now um, in the space sector that I'm uh, really excited about that will be kind of uh, you know emerging over the course of this this year. Very good. And, and this is why we're having trouble
1: scheduling our calls because like, like you were just involved in too many things. So you, you mentioned at the beginning already, sort of like, you know, sometimes you're an investor, sometimes you're an entrepreneur, sometimes you're an advisor. Is there any of those roles you like best?
0: I don't know. I, I kind of like being in the making and, and the entrepreneuring role yeah. and, you know, the enabling, you know, and it's like different, it's, it's, the kind of different activities. Sometimes it's like, you know, you're writing a check to a person. Sometimes you're writing to a vendor, sometimes organization, you know, and it's not just about like, you know, check writing, that's, that's the, the easiest, in some ways, it's the easiest part of the job. Sure. Job. It's actually, I think the most important thing is making, is getting the timing right for doing whatever your activity that you're trying to do and having the right team to work with and to be supportive. Because as long as we're still here in these squishy, fragile bodies, we need each other. And, you know, we don't really have reliable digital twins or AI assistants yet, We, you know, we really do need each other. This is, um, you know, space is as much as we're talking about going out there. We need each other to create these sometimes um, these, you know, new, this new infrastructure, new applications, as much as the space industry has some kind of singular cults of personality, very uh, uh, mythical types of figures. They're collaborating and working and they need hundreds, if not thousands of people to help see their visions realized. So let's not forget that that in a lot of ways it is a community and a collaborative endeavor.
1: You know, I I fully agree with you. And I always I always say when I speak to people about new space and where we are and and speaking of timing by the way, which you mentioned is such an important factor, you know, I, I do just very strongly feel that now is finally the right time for commercial space. And I assume you agree by virtue of your book and everything you're doing. In terms of this this community you know, I always tell everybody we need to, we need to bring many more people into the community, right? Because I mean, you know, as well as me that, you know, we, we keep going to these space, co- space conferences. Well, at least when we don't have Corona, we go to space conferences and it's like always the same, like thousand, 2000 people. And I feel like we need many more entrepreneurs to build the space economy. We need many more investors to finance the entrepreneurs. We need like many more people to just generally support it. So we continue to have government budgets. I mean, do, do you agree? And and if so, like besides, besides the book, um, you know, what do you think we can all do to, to promote new space like among humanity
0: yeah i i agree having it's a it's a, a open for business it's open for people to do whatever they want to do hopefully peacefully in this in this area i think we could do a better job of how we tell our own personal stories because sometimes people just want to know like how did you get involved if you're you know if you're an outsider or how could i get involved so I think sometimes thinking, spending a little modicum time of how we tell our personal story and how we share about the story of what's going on. So this is where you know um, media or storytellers and uh, filmmakers and videographers or people using other you know, um, you know maybe it's TikTok. I don't know how they can share stories about how exciting this is, and there's in that there's um, vast challenges that still need to be solved and there's ways that if we want to at varying degrees want to be included in and participate we can so sometimes it's just a matter of like letting others know there's I mean for a while people thought NASA was closed when the space shuttle program ended they thought NASA closed and so there was there's clearly even NASA which does a reasonable job of you know with its Uh, you know, public media, sometimes there's, there's still plenty, plenty of gaps.
1: Yeah. I I very much agree with the telling your, telling more personal stories. And (laughs) frankly, that's why you're here today on the podcast. And I'm happy you're, you're telling your personal story. Is there like a, um, you know, if this all works out and, you know, we develop like now the space economy and like, let's, let's look into the future and I don't know, pick a timeframe that makes sense. You can 10 or 20 or 30, even 50 years if you want. What's What's your sort of dream vision of, of space in the future? Where this is all
0: going? I would say it probably fits somewhere along kind of the Jeff Bezos vision, and I would a- and I would ask, and if I if 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 Mr. Jeff Bezos was listening, I would just ask respectfully, can you go a little faster? <laughs> respectfully, because I know you want cities in space. So my, not to take it too much of a non sequitur there, but to answer your question. I see – I would I would love to envision where we can take some of our less um, environmentally friendly activities off planet Earth mm. and we can do them in space where we can have, you know, in space factories and manufacturing facilities. And we can have, um, you know, people – with the option people will have the option to live on the moon or in kind of an o'neill style um city in space or they have the option to live on earth or, or vacation on those places it's kind of like not an either or but that people have the option to just be you know res- freely moving residents in the solar system and that we're able to you know uh, eventually derive and master getting energy from the um you know from resources whether it's the sun and other celestial bodies and that, you know, we can, uh, for those who want to stay on Earth, great, but also we can start kind of regreening greening and, and, and re-beautifying many parts mm-hmm. that we've kind of paved over here on the planet. And I think we can uh, potentially, with the right advancement in space, be able to do that. And it sounds kind of crazy when right now, you know, you generally have only six or seven people on the International Space Station at a time, but I think we could quite Rapidly see, you know, with uh, uh, private habitats, maybe exponential growth in the way, uh, in terms of human spending time in space. But I think for us to thrive in space, we're going to have to ha- probably have artificial gravity. I think that's going to yeah. probably be a require yeah. a requirement. And. Um, so I would love to see that much sooner. I would love to see it sooner than 50 years. Uh, it, it's difficult to, to predict the timing of these things, but at least seeing way that some of the, um, the groups like SpaceX are advancing, it, it leaves me hopeful.
1: Yeah, no, we, I, I certainly hope also quicker than 50 years. I mean, there isn't, there aren't really any things which are technologically, um, an obstacle. It's just, you know, we, we just have to go and do them and spend the money, invest the money. And then sort of making the link from, from that, that vision that you have to sort of the final question I was asked, you know, which is uh, visions that other people have had about the future in the form of science fiction. Do you like science fiction? I guess you already made some references, for example, to the expanse uh, when you talk to Daniel Abraham, do you like science fiction? And if so, what's some of your favorite, um, it could be books or TV series or movies.
0: I do, um, a, a book that I, that I really loved as a kid was Dune by Frank Herbert. Oh, yes. Um, it, it's, and you know, I guess it it can fall under maybe fant. Some people say more it's fantasy, but I love the idea of of how they had there was these um, you know this group of beings that kind of controlled access to uh, uh, the wormholes and getting around the universe. I love the place Dune, the sandworms. I love sure. that imagery, um, especially. Well, the imagery. Then I was able to see it when there was the there was a David Lynch film yes and uh, Patrick 80s, Stewart's think, right? in it and Sting's in Jane it, in it. Kyle right. McLaughlin it's got like a really cool cast I love it I, I love that film um some people think it's kind of campy but I'm a fan uh I now, of love course
1: there's not I, going to be so interrupted but of course there's going to be a remake now as there I mean, is no which was supposed to be out already and got postponed by a year because of COVID so, yeah,
0: I'll I'm wait. okay with that. I actually would like to probably see the remake, or see it on a big screen rather than a smaller, a, a theatrical screen with an audience. I still enjoy, um, particularly the original Star Trek series and New Generation. Um, the Orville, lots of fun. I love the Oroville, um, which is kind of an homage to Star Trek. Andy Weir's efforts are great. I, I kind of feel like there's some gaps in some of my early. Um, kind of the hard science fiction, like, mm-hmm. uh, I've looked at Asimov and while he was so prolific, you know, wrote like hundred plus books, or he had this incredible amount of books and stories that he wrote. And I kind of feel like I, I could go back and, and, and go back and revisit some of that type of stuff. I had an opportunity to go to, um, uh, Arthur, Sir Arthur C. Clark's home in Sri Lanka in Colombo. It was Valentine's day, February 14th. 2011 now he was dead but i got to go into his home and spend several hours there in his in his office and that was really cool i that was just that was a that was a a really an amazing experience
1: yeah so that's also a great author um rendezvous with rama and and other books that that we can recommend to 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 everybody uh rob this has been a great pleasure Thank you very much for coming on, and you know maybe we'll do this again in you know, one or two years and see sort of how the our immediate visions of the future have changed <laughs> with reality.
0: I, w- I would love that, Raphael. Anytime.
1: Good stuff. And in the meantime, I really recommend that anybody who's who's interested in, in getting to know New Space and, and hasn't done so yet that you pick up a uh, web's book. Um, um, space is open for business. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Raphael.
1: Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship, on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself, if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.